That's Mark 7, beginning in verse 24. And in the word of God, it reads. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our scripture today, if you're a little bit familiar with it, uh, it's commonly taken out of context. It's easy to preach this scripture out of the larger context of what's going on with Jesus and his ministry at this time. And and I am very guilty of this. I have studied this scripture. I was even taught to study it a certain way, which brings it out of context. And the thing is, when you take the Bible out of context and you take a certain scripture out of its context, then... It allows you, the interpreter, to change its meaning to maybe something more malleable or something better suited for yourself. And so when you lose the context, you can misinterpret it, and I am guilty of doing just that with this scripture. And the common misinterpretation of this scripture, of this text, of this Syrophoenician woman, is that this woman changed Jesus' mind. That, that by begging him and with her smart retort, she changed Jesus' mind and got her way. And now, don't get me wrong, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to read the scripture because it makes her the hero, right? And if she's the hero, we see ourselves in her, which means that we too can be the hero of our own story. And if we can be the hero of our own story, well, then one day we're going to stand before God. Scripture tells us that. And if we're just persistent enough, and maybe a little quick-witted, we too can be saved because we're smarter than God. Right? That's, that's what that interpretation leads to. See how it, it leads to this, this bad way of understanding God and understanding who we are. We do it with scriptures all the time. It, uh, we've done it commonly with David and Goliath. How many times have you been told, like, Goliath's one of your problems in life. You're David. You just need to throw stones at it. Right? It's a common misinterpretation. We're not the hero of the Bible. That's not us. We don't get to read ourselves into the hero's roles, right? That's that's what led to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. They, too, desperately wanted to be as powerful like God. You can't eat of this because then you'll be as powerful of God. Oh, well, then I, I think I could be God better than God is, at least for myself. And so this whole book, this entire book, the hero of the story is Jesus. 
from beginning to end. It is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. It is Jesus. And so every time in the Old Testament, New Testament, we find a parable. We read a story through history. When you see the hero of the story, that's Jesus. In David and Goliath, David, Jesus is the greater David, right? Goliath is sin and death in our lives. Jesus is the one who goes and defeats sin and death. You want to know where we are in the story? We're the Israelites crying in the corner saying, save us, save us. It's out to get us. Or in the story of the Good Samaritan, that's another one where we try and put ourselves as the Good Samaritan, right? This man is beaten and left for death on the side of the road. And along come people to pass him and they can't touch him because it would make them unclean, right? That's the law. The law can't save you. The law can't rescue you. But the Good Samaritan comes along, the one who we don't expect and picks us picks the person up on the road and takes them home and makes them well. We're not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. We're the ones left on the road for dead. We can't save ourselves and the law won't save us. Jesus saves us. And so it happens when we read the Bible, when we try and read ourselves into the hero, especially in interactions with Jesus. And it's this common mistake, especially when we take this whole scripture out of context. If it's standing alone, you're like, well, maybe she did convince Jesus to change his mind. But if we remember just last week, we were in the beginning of chapter 7, and Jesus is in the region of Gennesaret, and he's going to towns and villages doing miracles and healings, and Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem, they catch the disciples not washing their hands before they eat. A big no-no. And so Jesus goes on and talks about their traditions of the elders, how they made laws to prevent them from breaking other laws and how it's legalism and that it's not what's external that defiles you, but it's the very nature of your heart. It's what's internal. It's your heart that leads to the defilement. And it's Jesus, only Jesus, who can give us that new heart. And so that's the context. And so he's there. And remember, he does all of that. And then the disciples go, hey, could you... Explain that parable to us. And Jesus, right? I, I, we can't read tone. Again, we can't read tone. But I, I imagine Jesus being a bit incredulous going, you don't understand this? Right? He, he, and he explained it to him again. But we know this also about Jesus. He's very intentional about what he does. He's purposeful in every action he takes. And so it says, after explaining that it's not external, but it's internal, and that it's only Jesus that provides the clean heart, he then purposefully goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is located in the northern end of Samaria, adjacent to Galilee, where we're going to see Jesus doing ministry for a little while now. And he goes into that region at that time because Pharisees and Sadducees, and if, you, and, and if you're part of the tradition of the Jewish people, Samaria was filled with unclean people, for they were a mixed race, and they, weren't, they, they gave away their birthright as children of Israel. They were as good as dogs, alley dogs, uh, mangy, unkempt dogs that were scavengers. And so after Jesus says it's not about the outside, but it's about the inside, he goes to this area of what they call unclean people. And then the author tells us, Mark tells us, that he went into a home and did not 
want anyone to know. Which it's interesting that Jesus tries to be incognito, right? You can imagine Jesus pulling a hoodie over his head. and But they know. They know Jesus. All around him, crowds everywhere appear. They could even pick out his boat from miles away and they would run after him. He was trying to be incognito. But here's the thing that it tells us. Yet, he could not be hidden. You see, Jesus is in plain view. He's in plain view. He can't be hidden to those whom he calls. Jesus can't be hidden to those whom he saves, and he is not hidden for those who have faith in him. Because you will seek and find him, the scriptures tell us. Enter the Syrophoenician Gentile woman who finds out he's there and comes to him. She wasn't a Jew. She was not part of one of the tribes of Israel. She wasn't a child of Israel. She didn't even marry into the family. She is an outcast by every standard. She was a Greek, raised in Greek culture, understanding Greek language. And she was despised by religious establishment and considered unclean, a dog, unfit for anything. So by all standards, the woman was unclean, undeserving from any Jewish person interacting with her, let alone a Jewish man, let alone a Jewish rabbi, let alone the Messiah of the world. But we're guilty of that too. See, we love grace. Right? We love grace in our lives. We, we are here praising God and giving thanks for the very grace in our lives because we know the list of our sins is so great and mountainous that the fact Jesus overcame it is nothing short of his great love and grace towards us. And we praise him for that, that he has loving kindness for us. He never condemns us, never forsakes us, and is always with us. Yet, it's our nature to also be very surprised and shocked when someone we think doesn't deserve grace gets it. Right? I mean, we, to the very core, we are like Jonah. Right? Why doesn't Jonah want to go to the city that the Lord tells him to? Because he knows he'll forgive them. And Jonah doesn't want them to get grace. He wants them to get punishment. And we're like the Pharisees. We think this woman doesn't deserve grace. We, there's people in our lives that we think, oh man, I can't believe Jesus changed their lives around. That's got to be fake, right? You may not have said those words out loud. Maybe thought them. But remember, Jesus just went through this with his disciples, that it's what's in the heart that makes one unclean. And in fact, Hundreds of years before Jesus is born, hundreds of years before he's in ministry, hundreds of years before his death and resurrection, God tells the prophet Isaiah to tell the Israelites this about the Messiah in Isaiah 49, verse 6. I will also make you, and he's talking about the Messiah, a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
the Lord God said this to Isaiah for all of Israel to know. And Jesus knew this about himself. He knew this was his mission and he knew this was the purpose from before the foundation of the earth for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there together, created together the world. You know who else knew about it? Jewish people, especially the Pharisees and religious establishment. They knew it, yet by their attitudes, by evidence, by their attitudes and actions, they refused to accept it. That God would save a Gentile? That God could save a, a, a Greek woman? That God could save a Samaritan? You must be kidding. But Jesus knows this. And he just explained to the disciples it's what's in the inside. It's the heart of a person and that Jesus can give anyone a new heart. He just declared all food clean. And now he's in a region filled with people who are considered unclean. We're starting to see what's going to happen here. And so he intentionally travels to this region of Gentiles, and he's going to teach the disciples, us, and the entire world this harsh lesson about grace. See, this scripture then tells us that this woman begged Jesus to heal her daughter. She's found him, She's there with him, and she begged him. Now, begged is in the past in English, but in the Greek, it's a continuous past participle, which means she was begging in a loop over and over and over and over again. Jesus, heal her. Lord, heal her. Lord, son of David, a messianic title, according to the Gospel of Matthew, she gave him. Heal her repeatedly. And Jesus has this silence and this begging. And we can feel it. Because we can feel we've been in that woman's position begging Jesus. And all we get is silence. But it's not the first time Jesus had been silent when begging has been happening. A few chapters earlier, the disciples are in the boat in the Sea of Galilee in the big storm, and they're freaking out, and Jesus is silent asleep in the boat while they cry out. We often mistake Jesus' silence to our begging for him not caring for us. We often mistake his silence, meaning that he doesn't love us or love us anymore. We often mistake his silence for something than what it is. If we're begging Jesus and he's being silent, we're to remember Jesus is still with us. He's still there. He didn't leave us. And so this woman's begging, and we can imagine what that might be like. Jesus wanting to be alone, getting bombarded with people. This woman finds him. She's going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you've been a parent... You understand what this might be like. Dad, 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 daddy, 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 
right? Or mom, 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 mother, mother, mommy, mommy, right? Right? And so, and so that's kind of what this is like. She's persistent in her begging. She's persistent because she knows her only hope. The entire world is found in Christ Jesus. She calls him Lord. And so Jesus finally responds. And again, I've said tone is hard to understand in, in, in written, printed word. It's hard to understand. Although we've learned by 2021 in email when you type in all caps that you're yelling, right? And so we understand it to be really loud and, and talking to us. We understand that tone, but we don't have all caps here in Bible. And so tone is harder to understand. And, and so knowing that this woman's begging and begging and begging and begging, Jesus wanting to be alone, trying to hide himself, the tone we imagine he has is a tone we've probably had ourselves. What? Simply annoyed and dismissive of whatever's going on. What is it you want? And that's kind of the tone there. Yet, I think, I believe, if we look and see Jesus as intentionally teaching about grace in this moment, we can hear his tone differently in how he responds to this woman. A tone that is playful. For he says there in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. There's a lot to unpack just in that statement Jesus makes there, but on the short version of that, children he's referring to are the children of Israel, the chosen people. The bread he's talking about is himself because he calls himself the very bread of life. And this woman, this woman's considered a dog. By all standards, we've talked about it. They, they really did consider them dogs, mangy, scavenger, unclean dogs. Yet, the word Jesus uses for dog isn't the Greek word canine, but he uses the word kunaria, indicating not an alley dog or a wild dog, indicating a household dog. So like a pet, like the dogs we have in our homes. And this woman hears it. And she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs, she uses the same word, kunaria, under the table eat the children's crumbs. Essentially, she says, yes, I am a dog. So I get some of the children of Israel's crumbs. This whole time, She's been calling him Lord, son of David. She has faith in him. She didn't earn Christ's ear about her situation because of her persistence. She didn't earn the healing for her daughter because she was quick-witted. 
Rather, she humbly comes before Jesus and she knew she was a dog, that she was not part of Israel, that she was not part of the chosen people, and yet she still had a humble but bold faith to seek him out. In her response, she does just that. She admits she's a dog, but she admits she's a kunaria, just as Jesus said. Because Jesus is being playful because he's teaching about grace. And when she admits that she's a household dog, she's also admitting Jesus is her master. And that she is part of that household. She is part of that family. And Jesus agrees with her. Because of your statement, because of the truth you just spoke, go, your daughter is healed. She is part of the household. She does get bread. She does get grace. And we cheer. We cheer joyfully because it means we too get grace. Because we're not part of the children of Israel. We're Gentiles. And salvation has come to us as well. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserved it. Not because we bothered Jesus until he gave in to us. But because God himself intentionally and purposefully brought us into his family. He brought us into his family by the very precious blood of Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross and he dies and he's resurrected, through that, we become, according to Scripture, daughters and sons of the God Most High. not even dogs under the table, we now sit at the table. That's why we come to the table every Sunday, because God has invited us as his sons and daughters to the family meal. So when our faith is in Christ, we become part of that household. And then grace abounds. Amen.